This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Well, welcome everyone. Let's see, what's the time? Yep, let's begin because we've got lots of good stuff and we want to use every, squeeze every minute out. So before we begin, let's have a word, word of prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of meeting with my brothers and sisters again this morning at this special event. Thank you for this great gift that you've given us. And as we explore this gift of prophecy this morning, we pray especially for your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit that inspired, may he once again work on our hearts and give us those insights that we need as well. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, welcome everyone. I'm beginning to know a couple of faces. Uh, we had an intensive day yesterday. We had four seminars and we had some poor victims that stayed the whole time. So congratulations to them. Uh, we have a couple of folks that are here from yesterday afternoon. If you were in the seminar yesterday afternoon, can I just see your hands? Okay, three, four people. All right, for, for those four hardy souls, we will be repeating the first 10 minutes of yesterday just to give once again, the basics to, to the hermeneutics, and then we will move on to other examples that we will be working with. So just, uh, just a heads up for that. So you will know that you're not getting the whole thing all over again. So it will be something a little different. Good. Um, I don't have my clicker yet. We're still waiting for that. So that's actually a good thing, because that means I get to walk around more. So here we go. We said... Well, let me give a quick recap what we did yesterday. Yesterday, in the first of our Ellen White uh, seminars, we did Ellen White the person. And we spoke about her, what she was like as a mother, what she was like as a wife, uh, a little bit about her favorite color, dessert, uh, what it was like gro growing up with her, etc. And in our second uh, seminar, we spoke about inspiration. What is inspiration? How does it work? How does biblical inspiration work? And how did it work for Ellen White? And we had a, a fun hands-on experiment where we, we tried to see what it would be like to have a vision and to have to then be God's messenger. So we did a little fun experiment. Then in the afternoon, we started uh, working. We spoke a little bit about relevance what would we be missing out on if we never read Ellen White? So we looked at at least eight areas of our lives that's hands-on for the 21st century and what we can get from Ellen White's writings. Then in our last seminar from yesterday, we actually looked at, we, did, we started what we're doing today, the hands-on, the actual reading of Ellen White how we go about it, and how we actually do it. So that's where we are today. I'm going to recap the first little bit of what we did yesterday, and then we're going to go on with new examples for those of you that were here yesterday. So we're going to use the same warm-up that we used yesterday. So if you were here yesterday, uh, don't let the dog out of the room, okay? You'll know what I mean there. So if you're in with a group, you need to be in a group of at least two. You may be more. So form a little group wherever you are. You may need to move or turn around. Have a little group. And here's your warm-up exercise. What would be your reaction to the following? What would be your reaction to the following? If you... Thank you. We probably still need the connector thing, though, for the computer. Oh, no, it's here. My apologies. <laughs> My ignorance. Okay. So, what would you, what would be your reaction 
to the following. It just needs to, sorry, just plug this in. <laughs> I'm holding you in suspense, right? You know what? We're just going to pull that out and we're just going to do that for now. All right, that sentence. What would be your reaction if you heard that? Maybe you want to also discuss that in your group. I give you a few minutes, two minutes, go for it. morning. You probably want to find a partner because we're going to do a lot of group work. Okay. So if you want to move along over there or over here somewhere, wherever you feel comfortable. Okay. If you need a partner, you, yes. you know where to go. You've got a group. That's good. That's great. Okay. Okay, have you had enough time to discuss what your reaction would be? Let's have a show of hands. How many of you would feel positive if you heard that statement? If, how, how would you feel? Positive. Put your hand up if you'd feel positive about it. Okay, good. How many of you would feel negative about it? I assume you are not dog lovers, right? Okay. Do you understand that sentence? Do you understand all the words there? Okay. What does it mean? What does it mean? Anyone? Yes, please. Okay, he's going to give us a good grammar lesson. Good, go for it. Okay. So it means that there is a dog inside the room. Okay. 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 Good. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. Ah, you're getting on to something. In order to determine the meaning of this sentence, we understand all the words, but we need context. We need context. I need context to know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. Imagine that you are nine years old and you've always wanted a dog. You've always wanted a dog. And your parents have always said, no, not yet, not yet. And now it's your birthday or it's Christmas morning and you are in the living room and the door leading into the next room, you suddenly hear a funny scratching noise on the door. And you walk over to the door and you're standing there looking at the door and your mother smiles at you and she says, there's a dog in the room. How are you going to feel? This is your best dream come true, right? You're going to open that door so quickly to hug your new dog. You're going to be ecstatic about the situation. It's going to be extremely positive. Now, another scenario. 
you are home, you've just walked into your house, and you have your large Rottweiler. Okay? You have your large Rottweiler, very vicious dog. You have him locked up in the garage while you're away. And so you come and you are about to open the kitchen door to let your Rottweiler from the garage into the kitchen. And you're standing there with your, with your hand on the door handle. Suddenly you turn and you see there's an intruder in your house. All right? And he's standing just a short way away from you. You got your, door, your hand on the door handle and you shout at him, there's a dog in the room. Okay? What do you mean to say by that? Don't mess with me. I have a dangerous dog here. I am protected. Get out. I'm using that sentence as a threat, right? I'm using that sentence as a threat. Do you see how important context is? Okay, we all understood the words, but Put it in two different contexts, and it means very different things. Good? All right. That was a good warm-up. Now we're ready for the real deal. I don't think my clicker's working yet, so we'll still get some good exercise. Here we go. We are very used to this idea of... I'm still going to fly down here. We are very used to this idea of interpreting the Bible. We know that when we read the Bible, we have to look at context, right? We have to think about context because the Bible was written a long, long time ago compared to where we are now. And so I think we've learned instinctively and also it's been taught to us, you can't grab a Bible verse out of context and try to make it say something. Unfortunately, we haven't always carried over that same philosophy when we approach Ellen White's writings. Because Ellen White's writings also need interpretation. We are living in a different time and a different culture from when she wrote and when she lived. And a lot of the problems that we have with Ellen White are things that are taken out of context and wrestled into a new context. We need to approach her writings the same way as we would approach the Bible. Now, for those of you who were here yesterday, you will see the logic here completely. Because who inspired the Bible? The Holy Spirit, God, inspired the Bible. Who inspired Ellen White? Right. Remember we spoke about the Bible and Ellen White's relationship to the Bible and how we test her by the Bible? We should interpret her the same way as we do Scripture. And we are, and this I can't overstate, we are as dependent on the Holy Spirit to translate for us when we read her writings, as we are when we read the Bible. It's not an independent, ex my own independent intellectual pursuit when I approach her writings. I am dependent. I need to be dependent on God. So let's take the classic hermeneutic circle. Just be with me. Stay with me for a few minutes. It's not complex. When we approach the Bible, we look first of all at the words, right? When you've got a unit, you look at the words, make sure you understand each word. Now, we've got different versions of Bibles, so that's easy enough. You can go back and make sure you understand the word. Maybe look it up in a dictionary. We need to do the same thing with Ellen White's writings because words are changing, Words are changing. Can anyone give me an example of a word that has completely changed its meaning? That she uses. That is a very different word today. Anyone? 
Christians should be gay. All right. And I think she means something pretty different to how we would understand it. How about, how about where she says Jesus had intercourse with everyone he met? All right. That sure sounds blasphemous, let alone anything else, to our ears. The word intercourse has changed completely. It meant communication, connection with people back then. So we need to make sure that we actually understand the English. I read about, I was reading along, and there's also some words that aren't always obvious. But, you know, when you get that little flag like, huh? then that's the time to say, wait a minute, do I understand the words the same way as she did back then? I read of an experience where she described it as being a terrible experience. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word terrible? Something positive or negative? Huh? Well, for me, terrible is terrible. It's bad news. You know, I had a terrible night. There were people outside talking the whole night which there were, and so if you were guilty, no. Okay, so for me, it's a very negative thing. But when I read on in the context, I realized that she's feeling pretty positive about this terrible experience. And I'm, how does this work? And I flipped back in the dictionary, and I realized that terrible is more like we would use the word awesome. So it's pretty different. So make sure that you actually understand the word. Make sure that you understand the word. That would be a big step in the right direction. Make sure you understand the context, the wider phrase, the unit. We're looking at, is this a letter that she wrote to some particular individual? Is this an oral sermon that she preached somewhere? Is this part of a book? Because the style will change. The choice of words will change depending on who she wrote to at that, at that time period. Have a look at the context of the book. If it's a book that this is a part of. This is particularly important if you're reading online because you often don't get which book you're at. Is this the theme of this book are we talking about? Is this a health book? Is this a devotional book? What kind of book? So we don't lose track over here. And I've got there finally, because this is the hermeneutical circle that's used for the Bible. I've got the Bible. What is the theme of the whole Bible? We don't want to get lost when we're, doing, when we're reading the Bible. You don't want to get lost in Leviticus on some obscurity back there and carried off on something and forget what the whole book is about. What is the whole Bible about? Anyone? Restoration, that sounds good, yes. The plan of redemption. I think this fits in pretty well with Ellen, what Ellen White says and what is the theme of all her writing. She says it's the same theme as the Bible. Begins before Genesis, ends at Revelation, the great controversy theme. The great controversy theme. The great story of... A God that loved us so much that he made a plan even before we fell. He made a plan. He loved us so much that he even went ahead and made us, knowing what we would turn out to be. He loved us so much that he, in the Old Testament, gave shadows, gave hints, gave hope, gave a direction to tell about salvation. Jesus is coming. Jesus is life. Jesus is death. And now... All our prophetic books are telling us how this is going to end. This great controversy theme. So, think about it. Whatever she wrote must fit in. It does fit in with the great controversy theme. Remember that. There are people sometimes, because Ellen White wrote a lot. Anyone want to guess how much she wrote about Sorry? There we go. We have about 100,000 manuscript pages. So that's a lot of writing. Now, some of that is duplicate. 
it's kind of hard to sort it all out. Um, but that's a lot of writing back there. And it's pretty easy to pick up a trail and keep following it, as if all Ellen White ever wrote about was food, okay? Or as if all she ever wrote about was one particular subject. Don't forget, we need to look at the big picture, the great controversy theme. How would food fit into the great controversy theme? How would outreach fit into the great controversy theme? How would money spending? How would health? How would education? How would my sleeping patterns? How would the way I dress? How would the... Okay, you get the idea. All into the great controversy theme. When you are actually in front of that text, another way to say things would be, let's check our... Keywords, immediate context, we know who the author is here, with, we know it's Ellen White, but what would be interesting to look at too is who's she writing to. Audience over there would make a big difference, especially when we look at the testimonies, that's particularly important. What is the theology? What do I mean by what is the theology? Anyone? Theology, study of God. What does it say about God? What is she saying about God? We are all saying something about God all the time. What is that actually saying about God? And finally, what is the application for me? What application can I make from those writings? So, we approach a difficult text... And we need to figure it out. We have a strange statement that we've come across with Ellen White, and we want to figure it out. Here are our go-to devices. The first thing we want to do is we want to read the sources and not rely on what other people say. Okay? And you can do that really well nowadays. How can you do that? Yeah! Do all of you have the EGW Writings app? Okay. You, anybody not have the EGW Writings app? Okay, I've got something for you before you leave. A little flyer. Anyone who's interested, we, we have advertising up here for, for you. For, it's free, by the way. So there we go. It's, it's, I think it's a really powerful tool. We've never had all of Ellen White's writings at your fingertips for free in a searchable form before. I mean, in this volume, before you would have to lug around those big books and, and try and look things up. It's really easy to find out if she really said it or not nowadays. Thank you. Ah, la, 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 la. Yeah. Then collect all the information on the topic. Don't just take one phrase. We don't do that with Bible verses either. We don't create a doctrine around one Bible verse. Okay, you know, those of you, uh, you know how people that are defending Sunday like taking that verse, you know, all days are equal, and they just pull that out with the, shouldn't be Sabbaths or special days. One man holds this, another man holds that. And they say, you see, Sabbath isn't valid anymore. Pull out one verse. We don't do that. Our doctrines are built up Verse by verse, comparing, 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 looking at context. We need to do the same thing with Ellen White's statement. We need to study the context, as we said, and remember the big picture. People misquoting Ellen White and using her out of context, it's nothing new. Here's a little something that James White wrote while Ellen was still alive. Uh, and he had, they had this problem. He writes in the Review and Herald, he says, what she may say to urge the tardy is taken by the prompt to urge them over the mark. All right? So what she says to some, they take it, and they go way further than she meant it to go. On the other hand, and what she may say to caution the prompt, zealous in 
cautious ones is taken by the tardy as an excuse to remain too far behind. So on the other hand, some people grab things, they go too far with it. Other people, she's speaking to them and they say, well, we don't have to take that too seriously. So it was a problem right back then. It was a problem. Are you ready for some practice? Okay, here we go. Here we go. This is the fun part. This is the fun part over here. You and your friends are about to have a little informal soccer match. And some dear brother from the church grabs one of you and says, Ellen White says, ball games should not be played by God's people. How do you respond? In your groups. In your groups. How are you going to respond? Okay. Remember those points we spoke about. If you're on your own, just move over to someone. A group is two people as well. No problem. Are you a big group over here? You're listening in. That's fine. That's perfect. This is the widespread group. Okay, do you have a good answer for our brother over here and for all of your very perplexed friends that uh, are looking pretty upset about having their ball game cancelled? All right, anyone... What did your group say? Wow, your groups were talkative, huh? Did you follow the steps that you were supposed to? Remember? Did you check your source? How many of you checked your source? Ah, only three people checked their source. And if you checked your source, this is what you would have found. All right, what's the moral of the story? Check your source. Check your source. There is plenty of things that get quoted only partially. And they are manipulated to fit the agenda of whoever is talking. Don't fall for it. Check your source. Okay, check your source. Now... She says something here. Okay. What does she say? She says, I don't condemn the simple exercise of playing ball. All right. Our dear brother, she doesn't condemn playing ball. But, but, even in its simplicity, it can be overdone. Now, my next step would be, I need to see what other references she makes to sports, to playing and particularly to competition. 
And I need to look at all of them in context before I decide whether playing with my friends a soccer game is going to be okay and how far I'm going to take this as well. Yes? Okay, that's a really good question. Would you stop the game immediately? Well, I would say once again, I think the spirit of this game is going to be somewhat, uh, how should I say, downed a little bit by our brother, because if he's obviously watching this game under critical eyes, you're probably not going to feel like a really good game, right? Out there. So maybe some of these things should be sorted out beforehand. Um, but we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about this in a moment, particularly when we talk about application for individuals or for groups over here. That was a good warm up, right? You ready? What did you learn from that? Check your sources. Okay, how about this one? All right, in your group, in your group. What are you going to do with this one? Okay, either this one was really easy to solve or you are so shocked that you've got nothing to say. One of the two. Okay, did you all check your sources this time? Yes, and does it say that? Is that line there? It is there, it is there. You checked your source and it is there. Now let's go back to some of our other strategies that we spoke about, all right? Let's see if we understand the words. Do we understand the words, all right? Making and exchanging. I think we can understand that. Photographs. Photographs. Um, what are we talking about? Selfies? Anyone? We're talking about selfies? Okay, I don't know if we can jump there quickly. We need to look back at historical context. Yes. Okay, we look back, you are spot on. Photographs, when she wrote, if you look, there's normally a date and you can go search it further back. Photographs are expensive undertakings. They are expensive to make. And it really takes off, it becomes a fashion thing again. I mean, 
things going viral, we think is something new. It's not. It was just a slower process back, back then, but people used to do the same kind of thing. One person or one group or the same mystery as how a, a, a meme or a video clip goes viral today it was the same phenomenal back then. Someone would start something and the next thing everybody had to do it. And you just weren't in if you weren't doing it. And you just did it. So the photo started and people said, you know, it was really nice idea to have a picture of yourself hanging somewhere and a picture of your family hanging somewhere. And that was a really good idea. And then, you know, a calling card. Whenever you want to visit someone, you always send a calling card out. Now, those calling cards had been printed. The idea suddenly came that you should have your picture on there. And then you hand it out to all your friends, relatives, and when you were going to call uh, to visit someone for a social engagement, you have your photograph. And photography is expensive. So suddenly people are really into making expensive photographs. And they are really expending a lot of money on it. So we have figured out that photographs are perhaps a little different to selfies because of the finances involved. Okay, hang on one moment. You want to make applications, I see. All right, let's not quite go there yet. Let's not quite go there. This is what we're inclined to do. We're inclined to make an application as soon as we read it. Okay? Don't do that. Give the Holy Spirit time to work. You'll go a whole lot deeper. A whole lot deeper if you give it some time. Careful study. Careful study. As you approach the scripture, as you approach spirit of prophecy. So, now before I say, okay, that's cool, I haven't spent any money on making photographs lately. All the photos my parents have on me are really old. So this doesn't apply to me. I can read on to the next paragraph. Wait a minute. Let us look at some of these statements, this particular statement, in its full context. Okay, we're looking at it in its bigger unit. Uh, let's see. This making and exchanging of photographs is a species of idolatry. Now, I know something about idolatry. And idolatry is putting someone above God. Something or someone above God. Worshipping them. Yeah? Time, money, emotional energy, etc. Okay. Satan is doing all he can to eclipse heaven from our view, all right? So we are spending less time looking at heaven and heavenly things because of our idolatry, right? Let us not help him by picture idols. We need to reach a higher standard than human faces suggest. The Lord says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Those who claim to believe in Christ need to realize, hmm... They are to reflect his image. It is his likeness that is to be kept before the mind. The words that are, sorry, I've got an extra S in there, that are spoken are to be freighted with heavenly inspiration. Ah, so, you know, picture taking here, these photos seem to be part of something bigger, don't they? This seems to be a lot more than clicking or not clicking. This seems to be idolatry. It seems to have something to do with a lot of face time over here. Obsessing about faces, about looks, to the extent that we are distracted and eclipsed from things we should be looking at and thinking of over here. And there's something about images and about reflecting Christ over here. Interesting. This may have a lot more, this may have a lot more in it than meets the eye, right? This may have a lot more than just simply selfies. Let's look a little bit more. We've looked up more 
of the context of pictures. All right, we want to get we want to get into this here. What does she say? As I visit the homes of our people in schools, I see that all the available space on tables, whatnots, and mantelpieces is filled up with photographs. There's a lot of pictures around. On the right hand and on the left, I've seen pictures of human faces. God desires the order of things to be changed. Were Christ on earth, he would say, take these things hence. I've been instructed that these pictures are so many idols taking up time and thought, which should be sacredly devoted to God. So we have time, thought, and we spoke about this before, photos cost money, money. It is it consistent for us, knowing the work that is to be done at this time, to spend God's money on producing pictures of our own faces and faces of our friends? Should not every dollar that can be spared be used in upbuilding the cause of God? These pictures take money that should be sacredly devoted to God's service, and they dive the mind from the truths of God's word. So we have a couple more indicators of what's going on here. Are you ready to make some applications? This may take even a little bit more time to think about. Yes. Thank you. Did you hear that? All right. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. We were talking yesterday of bicycles being $100 and people having to take mortgage in order to, to buy that. Because you were looking at probably a, at least a year's savings for a lot of people. So that would be the price of a car today. Now you're looking at this which is just a little bit less for making pictures. So it does put something on the finance section. And we, I think we could say, okay, okay, maybe an application over there would be, how much money do I spend in technology? Maybe, maybe. But maybe that's not the biggest application over here because finances is probably not the big thing here for us over here because it's not costing me anything to do all my selfies everywhere over here. But um, maybe there's some other points I can look at. At least for me, I see applications here. Maybe here and here. Anyone want to venture an application here? Yes, please. All right. Thank you. I, I'll be with you now. I think you make an important point. And this is something that is, for me, very, very beautiful, very intimate and very real. Nothing in Ellen White's writings, nothing in the Bible is wasted or irrelevant. Time and circumstances change. They change. Principles never change. And remember we spoke yesterday about Ellen White's role in magnifying the Bible, in illuminating principles, in applying principles, biblical principles, to a 19th century context, which give us a little bit of an opener to say, well, it got updated to a 19th century. I can update it to a 21st century it applied to Peter and Paul. It applied to Ellen White. It applies to me. Even though I live in a completely different culture, completely different world. And we see this happening again. She has taken 
a very old biblical principle, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And she has updated it. She has updated that principle to her culture, her context. And we are invited to do the same by looking at what is God trying to tell me now, today, individually. And if ever there was a culture or a time period when we are obsessed with our faces, it's now. We are obsessed. Do are any of you, or is it just me, when there's a group picture, who do I look for first? Myself. And, you know, I couldn't care what everybody else looks like. I better look good in there, or else I want to retake it. And, you know, looking good means looking better than I normally look. Actually, I should look like I'm 20 years younger and I'm extremely beautiful. In other words, not like I am at all in order for me to be happy. Which means I'm basically never happy with any picture taken of me because it doesn't meet up to my ideal. How much time, how much money do I spend in front of the mirror? What products am I willing to invest in to make me look better than I am? Because other people love me and accept me for what I am, but I can't accept myself. Because I have some crazy idea of who I should be and what I should look like. And I will spend plenty of time. I mean, it, I don't know, ladies, you know, 10, 15 minutes in front of the mirror is very little. Uh, if you go into residences where there are a lot of young ladies, uh, just getting ready to go out the door could be an hour's worth of time. Okay? How about add that up a couple of times a day and offset it with time you spend on your devotions? Does it, does it balance? Okay, is Ellen White saying that we should all get out of bed and go into our day looking exactly like we do when we get out of bed? Um, is she saying no time, don't take pictures, look ugly? No. But there's something that I can personally apply. I don't know, maybe it doesn't apply to you. Maybe this isn't an area of weakness for you. But for me, there's a principle here. There's a principle here that's spot on. And it's very, very contemporary. Do you see how it works? Do you see how exciting it is? When you open yourself to the Holy Spirit, reading Ellen White's writings, you find personal applications. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's just like Bible reading. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. But it's always spot on for me. Yes. Oh, sorry. First you. Yes, thank you. Thank you, sister. Um, I think this is a, I hope this is an experiment for you in when you read Ellen White, look for those principles 
even on now, these are easy. I mean, these are more complex ones because they, they hit us like, huh? That's just so weird. And they make us think. But it can happen everywhere. It's meant to happen everywhere. It's supposed to speak to us. Yes. Yes. Ellen G. White at least updated dates in the 19th century. Yes. And now, now we have to apply it to the 21st century. Right. And I'm going to compare that to medical healing for a little okay? Back in Bible times, if your arm started to swell up, you died. At least in the 18th century, they at least had it off. So now in the 21st century, we have great technology. Uh, we have you know, great medical care. I am glad at least I have 19th century work that I can apply to the 21st Okay, updates, updates. But remember, and I think this has got to be very clear, principles never change. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. God still loves us. God still wants to talk to me in the 21st century through his word and through Ellen White's writings. Do you also see how Ellen White is not in competition with the Bible? She takes that biblical principle and shows an update on it. She doesn't replace the Bible or replace time you spend with the Bible because you need to know those principles in order to be able to recognize and discover them in her writings. Maybe we'll, if we have a moment, we can touch on that later. Are you getting into the spirit of things? Let me see what the time is for how many more of these we could do. Ooh, we don't have time, right? It ends at quarter, 10, 15, so we don't have much more time. All right, let's flash ahead with that one we won't use. What do you do when you read two conflicting statements? Okay, when you read two conflicting statements, what do you do? Just quickly, two minutes, two minutes. What do you do in your group? In your group. Okay. Okay. Is this a tough one? And it does happen. It does happen. Remember, we have 100,000 manuscript pages. So there are several examples, if not in direct statements, where she will say something somewhere, and then you'll find that she actually did it uh, somewhere else. And you go like, huh? How does that work over here? So... Let's go back, let's go back, let's go back. We obviously understand, first thing we'd need to do is make sure that we understand eggs and eggs being the same thing, that we're comparing the right thing with the right thing. And I think if you look in your context, you will see that we're talking about eggs, <laughs> chicken eggs over here. So I think we could compare those two over here. Um, 
Although this X, if you have a look at it, you will find out that it is in the context of what? Now we're starting to move towards context. Anybody that quote? Let me put the bigger quote over here. It is done in the context. It's a letter. This tells us it comes from a letter. And it is a letter to who? No. The children can't read. It's the parents. Okay? It's the parents over here. And they're saying, she's saying, you need to be careful in what kind of food you give to your kids because if you want their moral sensibilities to be heightened, you need to be careful what you feed them. Okay? You want their diet to be simple and healthful. You don't want it to be rich, to irritate and excite the kids. All right? Why? Because that strengthens their animal propensities, which sounds pretty complex, but for those of you who are parents, it's pretty simple. When you feed your kids a whole lot of junk food, what happens to them about an hour later? Yeah, just give them a couple of ice creams and see what happens. Okay, you will see. And then try to sit them down and tell them a Bible story. And see how far you get. Okay? You will see it's very practical. What you feed your kids influences how they feel and how they feel how they behave over there. So if you want to turn them into little wild animals, keep feeding them junk and see what happens. What do we do today? We let the kids eat anything they want to, and then we say they are suffering from all sorts of disorders, and we medicate them to try to keep them quiet and still and all the rest. But we don't care about what they feed, fed. I mean, it's a pretty interesting thing here, over here. She says, you should study to prepare a simple yet nutritious diet. And now she makes a point, and this is where our eggs will come in. She says, flesh meats, rich cakes and pies prepared with spices, are not the most healthful and nourishing diet. Eggs should not be placed upon your table. The eggs over here are not standing on their own. If you do anything with history, you will realize it has a lot to do with this. A simple recipe for making a pudding, a pudding required 48 eggs. Okay, eggs were freely available and they were used. And they were used. Pies. Pies required a lot of eggs. A lot of eggs. Do you understand? This is not a good connection. This is not a good connection. Not in those miles at all. She's emphasizing a natural diet for our children, prepared in a simple form. Okay, and our other principle, we will pull up all quotes on the subject, right? And this, this was easy because she did my homework for me already. Because already in her time, people said, huh, no eggs, eggs, make up your mind, what am I supposed to do? And so she wrote, it's true that persons in full flesh in whom the animal passions are strong, need to avoid the use of stimulating foods. Especially in families of children who are given to sensual habits, eggs should not be used. Okay? In other words, you have kids who have problems, behavioral problems, we'd call it today as well. Um, don't feed them a, a, a diet rich in eggs. It's not good for them. While warnings have been given regarding the dangers of disease through butter and the evil, uh, the evil of the use of uh, the free use, yeah, 48 eggs, uh, by small children, yet we should not consider it a violation of principle to use eggs from hens that are well cared for and suitably fed. Eggs contain properties that are remedial agencies in counteracting certain poisons. And in many cases, the only way to avoid anemia in those days. Okay, what is the biblical principle? 
Anyone? Okay, take that further. What does the Bible say? Thank you. Your body is the temple of God. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do it to the glory of God. Do it to the glory of God. That is a sound biblical principle. She has updated that. She has updated that to a 19th century. And even though it seems contradictory in those two statements, it's still the same principle. Do you understand? For small children uh, who are excitable, who are easily irritated perhaps, who have behavioral things, don't feed them with a lot of cholesterol. Don't feed them. Give them a simple, simple diet. That will do them the world of good. On the other hand, if you have someone who's anemic, someone living in an area where they can't get vegan substitutes, even vegetarian substitutes, don't deprive them of eggs. They need eggs. You need protein to have a balanced, healthy body. So the principle is the same. Principle is the same, even though the application may be different. Oh, you have been patient with me. Last slide. I know we, we're supposed to end at quarter past. Okay. Just quickly, just quickly in revision, a couple of little things. Remember, we said Ellen White magnifies, updates biblical principles, but that's not an excuse to neglect Bible study. Too often in Adventist circles, you have people that can quote Ellen White, but they can't quote the Bible. Okay? They can tell you, you should not, you should not, based on Ellen White, but they have no notion of where that biblical principle comes from. Or they can't even distinguish that biblical principle. We are not Ellen White followers. We are Bible followers. And Ellen White would be the first to say so. Okay. So, don't neglect your Bible study. Use Ellen White as we were doing now, to complement your Bible study. And the Lord will use her writings as well to help make that selfie app update okay, for you, which you would perhaps have skimmed over that principle while Bible study. It could be drawn because it's closer to us in our time period. Don't be a sensational reader. Don't run around looking for weird and wonderful statements to distract yourself or to confuse other people, all right? Remember, big picture, that's not what she wanted, that's not what God wants, okay? And that's not edifying to you spiritually either. So don't be a sensational reader, and don't read on one topic to the exclusion of everything else. As I said yesterday, if you decide in your personal devotions, you are only picking out all the Bible verses that have to do with judgment, and you're only going to be reading those. How are you going to feel after one week of devotions? Anyone? You're going to be a joyful Christian? I said you're probably going to feel like jumping off a bridge. Okay, because it's not balanced. That's not what God gave, how he gave it, he balanced things out that you get the warnings and you get the hope. Do the same thing with Ellen White. She didn't just write about health. She didn't just write about diet. She didn't just write about dress. She didn't just write about any little pet theory that I may have. Okay, It's bigger than that. Read widely. Read widely. Remember, great controversy theme over there. If You've got the apps, you've got the apps, you saw a little bit how we did it, but sometimes if you're stuck, here's a couple of good resources that you can go to. The EGW Writings is what you have as the free app. You can go in there and look up word search, look things up. If you go to our website, you will see frequently asked questions. Very often, very often, mostly, someone's already been there and puzzled over that uh, and can provide a bit more background and history for that to help you if you're wrestling with a particularly tough one. 
So there is that. There's also the last one is actually a directory of correspondence between the white estate and people that have asked questions. So for instance, with the one, the eggs, I just went in there and I typed in eggs and it gave me all the correspondence of people that had asked questions regarding those two statements and explanations given and quotes given from Ellen White. So it helped quite a bit on, on my research over there. If you still, you know, you just can't get your head around it, you have a problem with a quote, you can't understand how it fits in with things, um, I would be more than happy to hear from you. I don't know all the answers, but I know people who do. So uh, please, uh, you're very welcome to write to me. Uh, my address is Klingbao, which you have on your little, the spelling over there. It's K-L-I-N-G-B-E-I-L, Klingbao C at whiteestate.org. Or you can um, message us on Facebook uh, under the White Estate. Um, we have on our Facebook page, and we get to those fairly regularly. I do most of them, so I say fairly regularly, unless, unless I'm traveling or away, and that's a good way to communicate as well. So, thank you. Let's end with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for inspiring it. We thank you so much that you wanted to communicate with people long ago and that you still want to communicate with us today. We look forward to the time where we will be able to speak to you face to face. But in the meantime, we are sincerely grateful for these timeless principles, this timeless communication that you've given us through the Bible and through the spirit of prophecy. We pray that as we read and study, that we can open our minds to the influence of your Holy Spirit and that you can speak to each of us individually, to our needs, to our lives, and to making us more like Jesus. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.